This podcast is strictly for mature listeners. So if you're under the legal drinking age, you are not permitted to listen under UK law. If you would prefer not to hear conversations about alcohol, you may want to listen to something else. But if that's not you, stay with us for Bar Fabric Presents. Hello and welcome to Bar Fabric Presents, a podcast brought to you by the Brown Foreman Advocacy Team. Each episode, you'll hear from our team of ambassadors as we share stories about the brands we're proud to represent and the people who've inspired us along the way. I'm Ali Didienko, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to this episode of Bar Fabric Presents. In every episode, you'll hear from one of the team defending drinks that either have a bad rep or are overlooked in a segment called You're Wrong About. In this episode, Danny steps up to make a case for a classic, the Tequila Sunrise. You'll also hear How'd You Get That Job? where an industry expert will delve into the details of their career and give tips on how to get a job in their profession. In this episode, you'll hear the first part of How'd You Get That Job with Gerard Cahill, who is the master distiller at Slane Irish Whiskey. He'll be talking to Mick about his career and what inspires him. In Four More Bars, Joseph will be talking to experts in the arts about their favorite songs in hospitality. If you're like me, you may not realize how much thought goes into the music played in your favorite bars or restaurants. In this episode, you'll hear the first part with Brian talking all about his love for disco. And to round off the episode, Matt C. will be talking about the importance of community and how, despite it not seeming that way, the feeling of belonging and community spirit actually grew during the pandemic. Let's get into it. Danny, why are we wrong about the tequila sunrise? Hello, I'm Danny, and this is You Are Wrong About the Tequila Sunrise. First and foremost, a little history of the drink. The original drink was made in the 30s or the 40s, probably served at the Arizona Biltmore Hotel. And believe it or not, was a different drink entirely. It was composed of tequila, creme de cassis, lime, and soda water. I told you, an entirely different drink. Now, the drink we all know and should love was created in the 70s at the Trident, What a name for a bar. It's also the name of a cocktail, just so you know. In a place in California called Sausalito. I don't know why I said it with an accent. It just seemed natural. The recipe of this one, of this incarnation of the tequila sunrise, is the one we all think of. Tequila, orange juice, and a drop of grenadine. Now, I'm going to give you some hard facts about this cocktail that make you reconsider your hard stance on it. Fact number one. In 1972, Mick Jagger, yes, the Mick Jagger, tried it at a party at the Trident, loved it, and he started, with his entourage, started ordering it across America in a tour that he later dubbed the Tequila Sunrise Tour. In 1973, the Eagles, big Hotel California vibes, titled an album Tequila Sunrise as the popularity of the drink literally skyrocketed. Also, for you moviegoers, movie fans, there is even a movie featuring Mel Gibson, William Wallace, and Michelle Pfeiffer called Tequila Sunrise. So what else do you want? In all seriousness, I think the bad reputation that this drink has got is undeserved. And the drink itself remains one that every bartender, me included, considers a guilty pleasure. Perhaps it is because it's too easy? I mean. I think there's plenty of three-ingredient cocktails, and this one is no different. So where do we go with it now? Well, I've tried a very interesting take back in the day 
put together by my friends Roman and Marshall, the founders of Bar Average. Follow them on Instagram, give them a follow. They're funny, they're very funny. And um, they were serving their own version of the Tequila Sunrise at Hawksmoor's Spitalfields. This was the spec. So tequila, they were making, because they're fancy like that, their homemade grenadine using pomegranate molasses, pomegranate juice, sugar, and orange blossom water, and fresh orange juice. No bits, never bits. I think in essence, this cocktail can be as fancy as you want. And now that you know all there is to know about this cocktail, you should love it too. Do yourself a favor, grab a bottle of El Jimador Blanco and go. I'll wait. Welcome to How Do You Get That Job? Uh, today we're going to speak with Garog Cahill, who is our wonderful distillery manager at Slain Irish Whiskey. Uh, he's come on board in 2019 uh, through an illustrious career uh, through brewing and then on to distilling. So we're really lucky to have him at the distillery. And um, we've got him here today to talk about his career progression, how he got into it, his inspiration, his aspirations for Slain, and uh, his views on the future of Irish whiskey. Uh, so without th further ado, welcome, Garod. Thanks very much for giving us your time. Maybe just kick straight into it. Give us a little bit of an intro to yourself. Yeah, Mick, uh, great to chat with you again. And uh, nice to be on. Um, yeah, I've been uh, with Slane here now for two and a half years. And it's absolutely fantastic here on site. So it's, it's, a, it's a dream job for me here. But it's a dream job after 25 years of being in the brewing and distilling business been a fantastic journey for me and never a dull moment. Uh, it's been a fantastic journey for Slain ever since we opened and I can say personally from from seeing you coming on board it was it was really exciting because of your your reputation and and your knowledge is is second to none. Um so but I mean how did you first become interested in brewing and distilling? Yeah, if we go back in the annals of time, uh, I guess for me during my my college years I did a degree in biotechnology. Uh that was a mixture of biology and uh, microbiology and engineering. But during that, we actually made beer, we made cheese, we made yogurt. And I was always fascinated with natural biological processes. Uh, and from then on, I was always interested in, in brewing and distilling. Um, ironically, I had studied distilling uh, during my, my course as well. And that was more industrial distilling and stuff like that. Little did I know that many years later, the two of them had actually inter, intermine, intertwingle, intermingle uh, and intertwine. So I actually uh, spent 10 years then trying to get into the brewing business uh, through Guinness, which would have been the biggest operator in Ireland at the time and still is. Uh, and that was 10 years of hard slogging to try and get in there. But once I got in there, uh, it, I never looked back. It was fantastic. So the first decade and a half was almost exclusively brewing. Uh, but anyone who knows whiskey making knows that the first part of the process is actually making a beer of sorts. And the second part is then distilling and all the wonderful magic that happens in the casks as we wait for our whiskey to mature. Um, little did I know as well that actually I spent a number of years working in the environmental world as well in terms of uh, wastewater treatment, emissions from factories, things like that. And actually the environmental sustainability of this site is absolutely a huge part of my portfolio as well. It fits in with what the brand is all about. And that's particularly satisfying. So I'm drawing on knowledge and experience over decades 
but I'm drawing on a wide range of those in one job, which I've never done before. Yeah, I think there would be a lot of similarities with with some of our listeners, you know, coming up through the ranks within the industry and working in, in different departments and, and different gathering different skill sets. There's this unsung, you know, beautiful part of, of whiskey production, which is fermentation. And I think you touched on that there, Garod, you know, uh, with yogurt and things like this when you were when you were first studying. Um, I think it's just it's less romantic, but it's it's the base and it's where we start to create these wonderful flavors that we take through the rest of, of production and, and develop from that. But for those who may not know, um, what does your job entail on a on a day to day? How does a regular day at Slain Irish Whiskey go for yourself? That, that's a very interesting question, Mick. And it's actually one that changes from day to day. So if I take today, um, first thing this morning, we had a delivery of barley from the Castle Estate here. Uh, we do some quality checks on that, make sure everything is tip top. Um, so that's that's sort of a, a snapshot. I was then down in the water treatment plant, uh, making sure that our water tre- pre-treatment before it goes into the brew house is 100%, making sure that we get all of the good um brewing processes there to extract out our sugars from the the starch that's in both the malt and in the barley. Uh, We had a customer then this afternoon uh, who wanted to come in. They're an important customer of ours. They wanted to come in and they hadn't been through the distillery before. So we take them through, show them everything that we do, and they were nothing but impressed. So really happy with that. If you never want to be bored a day in your life, take a job on in a distillery uh, because there's always something new coming in there. Uh, and that's what makes it so interesting and so fascinating. Yeah, that's that is fascinating to hear. I um, I just imagine you running. I mean, I say running. It's it's a small distillery. So um, and for those of you who haven't been to the distillery, um, it's housed in an old stable grounds that we've brought back to life uh, by 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 installing the distillery within it. Um, so get on down and visit it. Uh, it's got some beautiful markings, uh, for instance, on the on the eaves of 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 the roof, uh, where the original builders would have uh, would have uh, lowered these in according to the numbered markings. And when we had to take the roof off of the distillery uh, to install our stills, uh, we had to use the exact same uh, method by matching them up to the to the numbers again. Uh, so get down to Slane Distillery if if you're close to Dublin or you're close to Belfast or. In fact, if you're anywhere in the island, um, you're probably never too far from it. Two hours it would get you there very quickly. So if some of the people listening wanted to pursue a similar career path to yourself, uh, what advice would you give? Where could they start? Uh, maybe a, a book that they could start reading or a course that they might want to look into? Yeah, we. if you look at our team here uh, in Slane Distillery, we have actually quite a mix of people here. So we have people with an engineering background, a pharmaceutical background, uh, electricians, general operators. And actually that diversity actually gives us a really strong team because people have different interpretations. They have different uh, insights into different parts of the process. So they, in Ireland at the moment, there, are, there is a proliferation of distilleries uh, across the entire island. Um, we used to have the big four, uh, and now we're up at, I think, 32 plus distilleries. So there are opportunities at different levels within distilleries. So if somebody has no distilling experience, don't expect to walk in and land a big distilling job. But you may be able to look at uh, part-time roles or going in as a general operator or distillery operator uh, and learning the ropes. And the thing is, there are lots of courses then as well that people can do. There are um, 
short three-month courses with the Institute of Brewing and Distilling. There are two and three-year courses and there's four and five-year master distiller courses as well. Uh, and a number of the universities as well, like uh, Carlo or um, uh, Harriet Watt in Scotland, they're all doing courses that are tailored for the brewing and distilling business. So there's a whole range of courses out there to help people short term and, and longer term ones. So uh, there's no excuse. If people have a hankering and they want to change, uh, contact your local distillery, get to know the Irish Whiskey Association, who's the uh, industrial uh, uh, representative group, uh, or ring some of the colleges that are doing some of these specialist courses. And if people have the interest, uh, they're quick learners, they're not afraid of hard work, and I guarantee you, you won't be disappointed because every day is quite different here. Uh, but the uh, level of satisfaction in making, say, when we switch from malt to pot still, making the first batch of pot still coming through, getting it into cask is just spellbinding. And then on the opposite side, when we take our mature whiskies and disgorge them and start to look at our blends, uh, which will then end up on the shelves off, off licenses, pubs, supermarkets and houses, and people remark here when we're doing a blend, the aromas around the place uh, and people are always curious, how are these casks looking? Is it right? Is it going to be good enough to get out for a blend? And there's a real interest in that. Uh, and that's right across the team. So wherever you're, whatever part of the plant you're working at any one time, you're contributing towards this great um, magical event at the end where yet yeah, we're shipping off uh, whiskey ready for bottling and getting it out to our consumers. Yeah, that, that's what we see on this side. We see the, the magic already in bottle and, and ready to go. Uh, but one amazing thing that you have developed for 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 us and and globally is our our deconstructed tasting, um, which is like going into Slane Distillery and being given a really special tour with yourself, but not having to go to Slane, you're able to use myself or any of our global ambassadors to to run through this tasting and what the tasting is is essentially like you were in the distillery with yourself, Garod, and you would draw from cask and say, this is the Oloroso Sherry cask. This is this is the flavours that it imparts and this is what it brings to the blend. Um, so if any of the listeners out there are interested, be in touch with us and um, we can certainly run that run that tasting for you. Um, so if you can't get across the Ireland, you can... You can see our unique triple cast process and and what it what it brings and yeah and it's not many people in their lifetime get to look at the individual building blocks for the brand and say ah so that's where the sherry's coming from and then the the seasoned cask and the virgin cask and each one of them individually are very interesting in their own right. But actually the skill of the blend then is to get them to merge together where you bring out the best of them and you add to the complexity and breadth without diluting out and ending up with something that's middle of the road. That's not the point at all. It's actually to draw out the strengths of those different casks and the, the flavours and attributes that they bring. Yeah, it is, it is a real education and it is a, a eureka moment. Um, when when they taste the the different cask and realize that it is the individual influences and then the sum of all of those parts that come together to create something even better than the individual casks. Um, and that's why we say is the strength of of what you do at the distillery is uh, is tasting these casks periodically, is knowing when to bring them together at the right time to make the signature slain blend. Precisely. And, and we're always watching the casks now to see how they're maturing. And it, the difference between the casks is, is phenomenal. Uh, and uh, the, I suppose the, the big contributor there is the sherry casks as well, how they can provide such a 
complex and satisfying flavor signature uh, to our whiskey. Uh, and what's interesting as well is we're producing three different whiskey types at the moment, malt whiskey, pot still whiskey and grain whiskey. And from the very day that they're casked, we're casking them in our three different cask types. So it's not as if they're all going into the Tennessee whiskey casks and then later on we'll try and finish them off in something else. Right from the beginning, the three different new make whiskies are going into casks and that gives us great degrees of freedom when we want to look at interesting blends uh, so we're only starting on this journey and even with the um, the blend that we have out there at the moment and some new releases coming up very soon, watch this spot, uh, it's, it's really exciting to see that already the pot still whiskey, for example, is maturing away. We're coming up on year three now. Uh, we probably won't do anything for another two years, but we're watching it closely and it's maturing in such a, a really satisfying way. We're very happy with that. So watch this space for uh, future releases. Yeah, that's a that's a lovely little uh, teaser that you've that you've left everybody with. Um, and yeah, so that we can all get excited for that coming. Um, and maybe if you're at the distillery and uh, you sweet talk Garod, he might take you in and let you let you taste some of that some of that pot still liquid. Um, but in the meantime, obviously you can you can you can contact myself and we can do the deconstructed tasting. All right, welcome to Four More Bars. This is a segment that's dedicated to the best music in hospitality, where, as always, I'll be thrusting myself completely out of my depth by speaking to experts in the musical arts, such as Brian Gaillard. You know, I'm going to come clean straight away <laughs> and admit my nervousness about the pronunciation of Brian's second name. I did it quickly, and I'm not going to say it again. You nailed it. Thank you. Thank you very much. That, that means more than you know. Um, thank you very much for coming all the way out here. Um, we are doing recording in Acton. I happen to know that you live in Dalston, right? Yeah. So basically the other end of the earth, near where I live. Um, Brian is a DJ and a man in charge at the fantastic and extremely popular Brilliant Corners in Dalston. Uh, one of my favorite places in the world. Uh, it has been for a little while, um, but now I have a friend there. We met first in the London edition where Brian worked beforehand. Um, and he became sort of known to me as someone who wears the most fantastic pastel shaded suits. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I had a, I had a strong uh, suit game, I think, at the time. It uh, definitely was. I had, I had to do it. I could. I did it. Yeah, like no one before and no one since. <laughs> um, but now, yeah, I mean, you sort of... Yeah, it's you, much more relaxed, much more yeah. East London. Uh, yeah, very casual, lovely. I really appreciate the transformation because, you know, that was... That was it. I, I don't think I saw you in any other context apart from maybe in Satan's Whiskers. Um, Definitely. Seeing you assume the persona of Brilliant Corners now, I'm like, ah, there it is. Yeah. That's yeah. you. Sort of <laughs> it's, it's also a fit in a, in, in a way, I think. Uh, much, much, much more East London, much less uh, Central London, but overall a different, definite personal and professional fit. Definitely. Yeah. It feels it. Yeah, it um, for, it's not forced. It's just, it just makes sense. I yeah, think, exactly. Yeah. Well, it was, yeah, seeing that transformation, you've got some sort of like hip round glasses now and uh, sort of uh, over shirts and uh, stubble. The reason we've got you here today is obviously to find out who the real Brian Gayard is. Said it again. Uh, no, it's not. We're going to, we're going <laughs> to um, well talk about uh, some wicked music uh, in hospitality. And look, this is always the, disclaimer that I want to give at the beginning. 
because it would feel really dishonest. Um, we're going to talk about some songs that Brian has selected ahead of time. He sent them to me. I've listened to them and I've formed some opinions so that there is a conversation worth listening to, uh, let alone worth having. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing I have to say is that due to licensing issues, we can't play the songs on the actual podcast, but we will make sure to release the playlist itself uh, next to the podcast so you can listen along or listen afterwards. You know, the most wonderful thing about, apart from recording and actually having these conversations, is that I have this uh, influx of brilliant music sent to me by people who know about it. So with no further ado, we'll start with the first one. So the first prompt is a song to go with your favourite cocktail. So your favourite cocktail is? The Red Hook. Awesome. Um, yeah, love a red hook. Um, and the song that that um, I chose to actually go with it, with, I think actually made sense in even even in retrospect, even more, even more so. Um, it's a song called uh, "By All Means" by Alphonse Mouzon, Herbie Hancock, Lee Reitnor, and Freddie Hubbard. So it's just a whole bunch of jazz giants. Really, it came out in 1980. Uh, it's a blend of jazz fusion, disco. It's very. It's a celebratory track, really. It's the last track of the uh, five-track-long album, the longest as well. It's a thirty-minute and a half long, which is, I think, uh, the time it, it takes me to uh, to drink a frosty red hook, which uh -huh. is, I think, quite convenient as well. Thirteen minutes. Yeah, that's good to know that yeah, about yourself. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to. Don't want to rush it. No, uh, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, and yeah, this this track is just yeah. It's this. This disco jazz fusion kind of vibes and it just works so well with uh, the time of the night where I usually, I usually ask for a red hook actually uh, what time is that you know past 11 easily ah, nice course. yeah yeah when, when you want things to kind of get to the next level and and kind of dance and walk around with your red hook in your hand and nice and enjoy yourself yeah oh it is such a good bit of music I can't understate yeah I can't overstate the joy that it's been having these songs played to me like I knew that it was gonna it was going to be awesome when I asked you to send me just four songs. I knew there was going to be proper thought in it as well. So I appreciate yeah. that. Um, but it came out all guns blazing. That's such a good song. Yeah. And I love that. I feel like you can feel a little bit that it is the last song on the album. It sounds like they're having fun. Uh, and a Red Hook, obviously, amazing drink. Um, milk and honey style. Um, New York, Manhattan riff with... Uh, American whiskey, sweet vermouth, and maraschino liqueur. I really thought I was going to get that wrong. Now it's been a while <laughs> since I've worked in a bar. Um, uh, that that is it. Yeah. So so just yeah, my my all time favorite drink for sure. That's a cool favorite drink. Yeah, I think so. That is a cool favorite drink. <laughs> yeah, that is just yeah, it's the best. Really, really nice. Um, yeah, you can definitely tell with that with that song choice that it's it will be played in like an extremely cool to my ear decidedly East London venue and yeah brilliant piano solo we'll move on to the next song and that is the song to take the room up a level how do you crank it up so this one um it's a song by Sandy Barber uh one of the disco divas uh back in the 70s and 80s um the track is called uh I think I'll do some stepping on my own and this the original track is already amazing enough but um the remix by Opo Lopo um, that came out, I think, in 2012 or something. Uh, one of the finest remixes I have personally ever heard. Um, just so brilliant from start to finish. Everything is just so good. Uh, you've got, I think it's probably eight minutes long or so. Um, yeah, just so well built. 
the, this crystalline voice of, of Sandy Barber is just just carries you with it all all along and it's built in a way that it's a kind of a long two three minute intro yeah and so that it could be a great transition between one part of the night and the other uh you get you get some some bass as well some some good kicks and overall very soulful very powerful song uh up until the end it turns from soul really to kind of disco-y um track at the end yeah just just brilliantly remixed i think that's really cool um and a sort of typical dj's analysis that makes sense in a in a did you say it's eight minutes long yeah so yeah that's a nice way to sort of if you think that there's a chapter change of the night throughout mm -hmm. that song that's a really nice way so i mean i've i've only ever known you in your bar career sort of space i suppose what sort of dj stuff have you done in the past so i've i've started you know on on this virtual dj software that we've all had at some point i think uh uh you know this free software where i could just you know i didn't have any any setup at all i was just kind of trying to dj on the on the keyboard with shortcuts and and it didn't make much sense but yeah it was it was um the passion i had for music uh, as a teenager um i love music i listened to a bit of everything but then at some point, I think my dad made me, you know, told me just listen to this one and that one and that one. And then I realized what what I loved about this track, this hip hop track or this, you know, pop track or whatever was disco. Disco yeah. was the main, was the, the, the elements that they all had in common in the bass or in the, in the rhythm or in the energy that they all had in common. So disco was really like the, the first really dance music genre that ever that was really came to came to life um back in the 70s um and and yeah 15 year old brian was was trying to do his best in his in his bedroom and then obviously trying and, and got more experienced and and in the different jobs that i had in hospitality basically i did a, a business school but at the end of it i was i, I figured out that i didn't want to have a an office job at all i wanted to have a job where I could see people all the time, hospitality, and blend in my passion for music and DJing and sort of partying and a get together, really. So yeah, in the, in the few hotels I worked at in Paris, um, I was able to actually blend my, you know, FNB position with with some kind of you know um, activations and, and fun stuff related to music, all the way. Oh, um, that's really cool. Did so you the beginning of it. push for that to be the case? Yeah, oh, I, I really chose, like I that. I think I chose the right you know lifestyle hotel brands. They would accept that they would be open to it yeah because uh, you know there's a this segment of hospitality that's more of a traditional branch and now we've seen over the past 20 years the boutique hotel kind of vibe trend um are like the edition where i used to work obviously um is very much in, anchored this one in particular into studio 54 era um and and the lifestyle yeah branch of hotels can uh, you know they all have djs on rooftops and whatever and there's a there's a real party element to it yeah um, that, that makes it a very social space more than just a hotel to go and sleep oh i mean just to, i mean for two places to sit on the cv of one person you know the <laughs> london edition and brilliant corners they're such brilliant places uh well i mean it makes sense given your journey um to find you now in brilliant corners because it is a venue that is built from you know, f foundationally, it's about the music, right? There is this wonderful thing that happens at Brilliant Corners on the weekends. Um, what is it, like half 10, 11 p.m.? Yeah, 11, yeah. 11. From 11 onwards, yeah. The chairs get cleared out um, because obviously everyone's been sitting there eating like impeccable Japanese food. Uh, and then in a matter of minutes, it's clear, it's dark. There's a curtain that comes across to separate 
the two areas and it becomes a dance floor. And it's the most seamless um, achievement of what would seem like quite a daunting thing to try and put together. Yeah, it, it is, I believe, um, the, in, the, in the first days of Brilliant Corners, it must have been difficult to approach that, this transition, uh, the changeover period from dinner to dance floor, the way they approached it and everything. But obviously, eight years later, it's it's been worked on and, and, and refined, I guess, um, in, in different ways. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's such a wicked place. And that is a brilliant song. Sandy Barber, I think I'll do some stepping on my own. I hope you enjoyed the very first episode of Bar Fabric Presents. So, the tequila sunrise. Who doesn't love a layered drink and a mini umbrella? Gerard gave lots of great advice around distilling. It's important to know there are a number of different jobs that you can get into, and there's lots of info about that world to discover. Part two of this interview will feature in next week's episode of Bar Fabric Presents. And, as Joseph mentioned in four more bars, there will be an accompanying playlist where you can hear all of the tracks they spoke about. You can find the link to the Spotify playlist in the show notes, which also features some bonus tracks not discussed on the show. Thanks, Brian, for that insight. Some really good tracks that I'm definitely going to add to my playlist. Hello, Matt here portfolio ambassador for Scotland and Northern Ireland. And I want to finish this podcast today by speaking about community and why it's so important to me. Growing up, I never quite fit in, bouncing between different circles, from playing for the local rugby club to fronting a heavy metal band. I dropped out of school, started again at college, changing my career aspirations more often than my haircut. I ended up studying sociology at university, probably through an inability to narrow down a single career path. It was serendipitous that I found the bar world, taking a part-time nightclub bartending gig to supplement my student loans. Suddenly I was thrown into this world, a world I previously knew nothing about, an entire industry we don't learn about in school. The bar industry was creative, social and high tempo, an amalgamation of all of my previous ideal career paths. Importantly, it allowed me to be me, something I was so often chastised for in my youth. But the truly best part of it was, I met so many people just like me. So what is community? It's the feeling of belonging and sharing a sense of personal relatedness through the shared battle scars of the office Christmas parties and raucous celebrations of industry award nights. We possess a shared experience. Perhaps that's why we bond so quickly. Friendships for life forged in the briefest of meetings. Perhaps that's why we celebrate the achievements of those we've never met. They say there is six degrees of separation between any two people. Well, in hospitality, there's only two. No matter where in the world you travel, there's always a friend with a friend who can look after you. How does a community operate? Communities share a common symbol system. In our industry, we speak another language entirely. Confounding to the customers in our midst, we call out 86. 50, 200. We discuss our days in acronyms, the dreaded AFD. We possess no secret handshake, however. In fact, it's very much a display. Two tiny glasses, brimming with bourbon, clinking together across the bar top. A community helps us fulfill our needs. And without the hospitality community, I would have never achieved the highs of my career. Cocktail competitions were crucial in my ability to create drinks, being inspired by other creative minds along the way. My knowledge of the world of spirits would have been lackluster without the brand education sessions I was invited to. 
My support network was built over the post-shift pint, with my closest friendships being made behind the bar. I am so grateful for this community and how it has nurtured and supported my journey. The last two years have been hard. COVID has done its best to sever the ties that bind us, but this community is held fast. Isn't it ironic that a global pandemic has brought us closer together? Now in 2022, with the long hibernation over, the strength of this community rises. To any young and inspiring bartenders, I implore you to actively take part in this community. Enter the competitions, go to the training sessions, the events, the dinners and parties. To the old dogs, the veterans, the bar managers and brand ambassadors, continue to protect and nurture this community that did so much for us. This has been Bar Fabric Presents. Thanks to all of our guests. And of course, thank you for listening. I'm Ali Didienko. This podcast was recorded at Capsule 24 Studios in London and produced by Silver Music Entertainment.